my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we talk about, of course, the decentralized revolution, how the world is changing. It's decentralizing. It's breaking apart. Of course, we're talking about deglobalization, all those things. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And luckily for me, there's a lot to talk about because, man, the thing, the world is changing super fast. For everybody else, it can be stressful. I get it. I understand. If you don't understand what's going on or where things are going, it's stressful, but we'll hopefully break through some of that today. I want to talk about, of course, I talk about the lens of politics, finance, and technology together. They all move together. And I I believe that we have to look at those things in context. And I want to talk about something today. I want to talk about a new, new types of technology that are developing right now that will change both politics and finance. And there's Two pieces of technology, really there's a third, but we're going to talk about two today that I am really excited for. Uh, All throughout history, technology is what changes the world more than anything. It changes the way that we communicate, changes the way we organize, and changes the way that um, the politics works, everything. And like I said, (laughs) we have massive change today. And what I believe is that solutions are supposed to come to problems. That's the way it's supposed to work. There's a big problem, and then a piece of technology comes to solve that. But then it changes things. And that's what we're going to talk about. So like I said, there's two pieces of technology that I am super excited about. You know, I got to a point where I was like, you know, the last 100 years, 120 years, we had the invention of the automobile. And then we had space travel. And then we had personal computers. And then we have the internet. And all these things happen. And it seemed like 
myself and maybe even a lot of other people kind of seem like technology sort of stalled out a little bit. Like, man, we've, we've, uh, we've got all the technology gains we're going to get. Like now it's just going to be small, small incremental. Like what more can we do? But I've changed my mind on that. And I believe that the next five years are going to change more than we'll even know. And so there's two pieces of technology I want to talk about that really are super, super important for today, but they're also, um, they also help us understand what the heck is going on today. Now, part of uh, what's given me some of the context is I'm, I'm starting to read a new book. The book is called The Revolt of the Public, and the author is Martin Gurry, um, for a fun fact. <laughs> I'm going to have him on the podcast next week. We're going to do an interview with him, so of course I'm reading his book. And The Revolt of the Public, if I'm going to summarize it real quick, is talking about how the public, you and I, are revolting against authoritarians, against leadership against what he would call the center. So you have the center, which is the establishment, and then you have the fringe or what he calls the border. And what he's talking about is the revolt of the public. And the reason why is because what he's calling as technology. So all throughout history, as far back as we can go, uh, those who want to control us, those who want power over us have to control the flow of information. And they need to tell us the story. They need to control that story. They need to control the narrative so that they can control what goes in our head and then ultimately control what we desire and what we don't desire. And they've done pretty well with that because up until about 500 years ago, information didn't really move very freely. As a matter of fact, he talks about like five phases of information. Don't worry, we're going to get past the information side, but I want to kind of frame this up for you. But there's like five phases of information. And of course, it goes with spoken word. And then, of course, then there's written text and there's different things. But it wasn't really until the 1500s and actually the 1400s, to be exact, is when a new piece of technology was created. I talk about it all the time. It was the Gutenberg printing press. And what that did at the time, the, the church and the state were um, basically telling the people what the Bible said. They were distorting the truth. They were creating misinformation, telling them lies about what the actual Bible said, what the document said. And they did that in order to control the people. But when the printing press came out, the first book they started printing was the Bible. It was invented so they could pr produce the Bible. And they produced the Bible in mass. And as the people got the Bible, they started to read it directly. And they said, wait a minute. This isn't what our leaders have been telling us. They've been lying to us all along. We don't need them. We don't have to do these things. We can have our own path to God. We don't have to follow that. And so all of a sudden there was a revolt against this established order, the establishment. The, the, the combined church and state who had been lying, who had been spreading misinformation were now found out. Now, of course, they didn't like that. And so they tried to, st they tried to stop it, right? Of course. So anybody who spoke out against that was labeled a heretic. It was called heresy and it was punishable by death. And the, the, the state, the establishment at the time, uh, tried, tried everything they could to stop that. Like I said, even punishable by death, but it didn't matter because once the information was out there, once that genie was out of the bottle, it couldn't go back. They say there's a, a no standing army is a match for a good idea whose time has come. And so once that information has been out, it didn't matter. And as a matter of fact, the more that the state tried to suppress that information, the more they tried to discredit people, suppress the information, distort, man manipulate, et cetera, and even kill, the more they did that, it just brought even more attention to what was going on. And of course, that changed the world. Uh, the state lost the power. We went from a very centralized world to more of a decentralized world where everybody kind of spread out, went back into the farm 
and um, farm and cottage industry. Now, uh, I want to frame that up because we're witnessing something else happening today. And this is what is framed up in this book, The Revolt of the Public. And we're going to get into the two technologies that are popping up because of this. But basically, The Revolt of the Public is, is a continuation of that. So once the people, surprise, surprise, once the people can get their own information and can think for themselves, they don't want to be lied to and told what to do by some arbitrary power that has tried to establish themselves there. Surprise, surprise, right? So the goal of uh, authoritarian is to, to try to control the flow of information. Now, what he's calling the revolt of the public is that we have a new technology about 500 years later called the internet. And what the internet has done is for the first time allowed for massive amounts of information to be created, to be transferred. But what's also done is it's broken down authority structure. So uh, in 2001, so, you know, depends on where you want to pencil or put your finger on where the creation of the internet was, but probably the, the dot-com boom, 1999, the dot-com crash, 2000. So kind of looking at 2000, let's go one year past the 2000 uh, dot-com boom in, uh, bust. In 2001, per, per the book, in 2001, this is an amazing fact, more information was created in 2001 than all of humanity before that. That's amazing. And 2002, saw it double in 2003, saw it double again. And now we're on this exponential path of information. Now information could be created instantly. It could be shared at the speed of light and it could be shared with people all over the world, uh, millions and millions of people with a push of a button. Now, the problem is that the, the, the authoritarians, the governments, the leaders, the establishment wants to pretend they want to put themselves up on a pedestal like they are the authority. We should only listen to them. The problem is that they tell us something. And actually it was, uh, I believe it was called Cronkite Gate, Walter Cronkite, a famous newscaster. Um, he put out a, a news story that wasn't accurate. And the people were able to pick that apart very quickly and discredit him. And that was kind of the, the, the fall of this, the start of this, this revolt. And he goes on and talks about over and over and over how this has taken place, how uh, the Arab Spring, you know, uh, in the Middle East, how that fell, uh, how, how revolt, revolution happened in Iran, in Egypt. And it happens over and over because the government isn't able, the authoritarians aren't able to control the flow of information anymore. And now we don't have to listen to them as authorities. Now all of us are authorities and we can crowdsource this information. I see it all the time. I'll see somebody say something on Twitter and I'm like, oh man, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty interesting. Um, I, I didn't think about it like that. But then I read the comments down below and everybody starts chiming in and picks it apart. Oh, and that's not right. That's not factually correct. Oh, here's the rebuttal. Here's actually what happened. And it crowdsources that information and we're breaking down those establishments and we're now able to share this. So that's the revolt of the public. So I kind of want to frame that up. And this is only going to continue. We're going to continue to see uh, government lose power. The only way forward is the government, the government's going to have to realize that they don't have the power anymore. We're going to have to see a, a massive shrinking of the government. Um, and there's going to have to be a new agreement between the public and the leaders. That's the only way forward because you can't put this technology, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Now, of course, they're going to try just like the church did with the heretics and the heresy. They'll try the same thing, but there's new technologies that are popping up that will make it impossible. All right, now I got to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to tell you about the two technologies that are changing the world and you need to know about. Don't go away. I'm going to be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about, of course, each week the, the decentralized revolution. Today, I'm talking about two technologies that are happening that I'm really excited for, and they are decentralized technologies. Of course, now we typically talk about Bitcoin as a decentralized technology, but there's other types of decentralized technologies, and they don't always have to be blockchains. So we're going to talk about that. Um, And really, we're going to talk about open networks. So the difference of a closed network, a centralized network versus an open network or decentralized network. And we're going to talk about from an open monetary network and an open information network. Now, when I opened up, I was talking about this book, I'm reading the revolt of the public, and how all throughout history, um, there's countless examples of how authoritarians try to control information to control the people. Um, but once information gets out there, they're just not able to do that. And of course, it's getting harder and harder for them to do that in the information age as we all, you know, we're all on smartphones and connected on Twitter and social media. And of course, that's why you hear things like the Twitter files where the governments are working directly with social media companies to censor us. But problems come to solution. So as those problems continue to mount, as the state continues to try to squeeze harder to hold us um, hostage, if you will, um, new technologies are being created. So that's what I talk about. Now, if we look at uh, recent decades, we can see that they've been primarily driven by closed systems. 
right? Both information and monetary. We're going to look at both of those. And if you think about it, actually, to go to a little bit of a philosophical level, it, money is just information. My good friend Robert Breedlove has a podcast called What is Money? And he talks about what money is. And so a lot of people think they know what money is, but you've never really thought about it from a philosophical level. But money is just communication. Money communicates value. If I want to get this thing from you, you say you want $10. Um, if I value that more than I value the $10 that I have, I will give you that money and it communicates that I value that. It's an exchange of value. So anyway, um, information, money is information and it communicates value. So anyway, um, we've seen that basically, let's start with the financial system. So the financial system as we know it is a closed system. As a matter of fact, um, banks and brokerages operate as basically a permissioned ledger. So if you want to go to a bank account, you have to obviously get permission. You have to fill out all types of paperwork to do that. Opening accounts with institutions is a permissioned activity. They have to decide if they want to allow you to do that. Of course, even sending your own money from your own bank account to somebody else is also a permissioned activity, and they can decide if they want to allow you to move that money or not. What a lot of people found out is that the money in the bank is not your money, not legally. Legally, the bank owes you the money. That's a big difference legally, which means they have the right to decide whether they want to transmit that money. PayPal, Venmo, but even your own bank. I get, <laughs> I get stumped all the time. I get asked all the time uh, by my bank, do, do they want to allow me to send that wire? And those are permissioned activities. We see that all the time. Now, the internet also, it, it, it started out very open and decentralized. And a lot of people think the internet still is decentralized, which, which most of it is, right? I mean, obviously we can um, publish stuff and share information across the internet, but most of it has been consolidated and centralized into what we'd consider these silos, right? So Twitter has this big silo, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, um, things like that. And those are closed networks. So in order to join Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever Twitter, I have to have permission um, in order to use that, I have to have permission. All my activity is permissioned. If I say something that they don't like, then I lose permission. I lose my entire account. So all of that's permissioned. And even sending information between the platforms isn't even allowed. It's not even possible. But today, we have new technologies that are changing all of that. This is a massive paradigm shift. We have open monetary protocols. Of course, I talk about Bitcoin, right, all the time. It's the emergence of a newer open information protocol um, that we can transfer value. But then we also have other information protocols. And this is one I've, I've talked about a little bit before, but I just continue to get more and more excited about. And you might have heard about it. It's called NOSTR, N-O-S-T-R. And basically, between these open monetary protocols and open information protocols, it's challenging the state. Just like the printing press challenged the state, um, now uh, the internet tried to, it started to challenge the state, which it already has. Like I said, it's already uh, been responsible for organizing revolutions in Iran and, and in, in Egypt and so forth. Um, but now the states tried to figure out how to grasp that. But today with the monetary protocols, the information protocols, it's going to challenge the state and they... They're not going to stand a chance. So let's talk about this. So money, like I said, money's been closed source. Um, you have to have permission. Now, about 8 billion people in the world today and about 2 billion adults don't have access to banking. They either don't have access to it, they can't afford it, or they don't have permission to join, right? You have this global network of interconnected banks that allow you to send money, but 
if you don't have permission to join, you can't get into the financial system. Or if you find yourself like uh, Iran or Russia, where you're sanctioned and kicked out of the financial system, you don't have permission to operate. Now, we've seen all types of development, technology happening, supposedly all these fintech companies. And what they've done is developed layers on top of traditional banking rails. And so Again, you have Venmo or Cash App or something like that. But Venmo connects to your credit card, which connects to your bank, right? So uh, it's an app and it's cool and it makes it easier, whatever, to send money back and forth. But the reality is it just still works on top of the banking layer, all right? Now, it, it like I said, it makes it easier, makes it faster, but it doesn't change anything. It's still the per same permissioned bank account. Now, when you want to get outside of that permissioned area, it can become a real big problem. So for example, try sending money to another country that uses a different siloed money system. So send money to El Salvador, see what happens, see how that works, especially try it with a very small transaction. And you'll find out most times it's probably not worth it because of the high percentage of fees um, that people pay. According to the World Bank, the average fee percentage on a remittance payment, so that's sending money to somebody else in another country, is six and a half percent. Now, if you're doing it directly to banks, the fee percentage is usually about 12%. It's a big chunk. It's a real big chunk. And, and what we also saw from that same report, 76% of people um, have an account at a bank. So that means whatever, 25% of people don't. They don't have an account at the bank. They're not in the global financial system. Now, I've often said that this phone, this smartphone is like the great equalizer. If you have access to a smartphone, you have access to um, the internet, you can learn anything, you can meet anyone, you can do anything. You can be a kid with an Instagram account, make 100 grand. But not if you're not, not if you're allowed not allowed to be in the financial system. You have to be in the financial system, otherwise you have no chance. Now, a lot of people aren't really aware of this from a global perspective. A lot of people approach this from a very U.S. centric viewpoint. But think about it like this: What about all the refugees that are fleeing Ukraine, or have fled Syria, or they fled uh, Venezuela? What about all those people? They've left. You know, they have war torn regions. They don't have IDs. They don't even have a path to get an ID. Their country's gone. They can't even go home and get an ID. So what are they going to do? How are they going to join the financial system? Of course, the answer is they won't. However, those same people, they don't have an ID. They won't have permission to open a bank account, but they have a smartphone. As a matter of fact, over 86% of people in the world today have a smartphone. 7.1 billion people have a smartphone globally, and that is is what will change things. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. I'm talking about two technologies today that I think are going to change the world more than anybody realizes, and it's going to happen much faster. I think in the next five years, the world's going to look a lot different. The decentralized revolution, that's what we're talking about. I want to continue to talk about these two different types of technologies, how they're going to change, and what you need to know to take advantage of them and not get wiped out. So I'm going to be back with all of that in a minute. I got to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Don't go away. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about, of course, each week, the decentralized revolution. Today, I'm talking about two different pieces of technology that are decentralizing the world. It's going to make it impossible for the, the, the leaders, the, the governments, the states to continue to centralize power. It's always technology that changes things. We're talking about that. If you missed it, don't worry. Go catch it on the podcast. Just search the Mark Moss Show on your favorite podcast, or just go to YouTube and search Market Disruptors, and you can find the. Um, you can watch me and listen to me at the same time. Now we're talking about this, and we're talking about how um, if you think about think about the world globally. All right, you have to think think globally. If you're going to make it, you got to think globally because we're moving into this decentralized revolution. And if you understand technology, you understand like in the United States, the internet grew really fast because we had this wired telephone system. Um, and then the internet was able to work off of that internet, that wired telephone system. If you remember the old days of the internet, it was a dial up, right? It worked on the phone system. But then you had nations like um, Africa that leapfrogged past the US. They didn't have wired. They went straight to wireless. And so that's, uh, we have to understand the global perspective, the global picture. And so sort of the same thing, if we're looking at it from a very US-centric viewpoint, we have this US banking system and that works really well. What do we need a, what do we need a solution for that for? But in other nations across the world, they have big problems and they're leapfrogging past our existing system and building up a new system. So like I was saying, um, if, we think, if we think about this globally, we have you know, all these refugees from all over the world. They don't have IDs. They don't have a path to get IDs. And because of that, they won't be able to get bank accounts. They won't be able to participate in the global financial system. But 76, or sorry, uh, what was the percentage? Uh, but they have uh, smartphones. They have smartphones. Now, if you have a smartphone, then you can participate. We're going to talk about that in a second. But just for some other numbers, if we look at some areas like Nigeria, for example, only 45% people have a, 45 of the people have a bank account. In Palestine, only 34% of people have a bank account. That means they can't participate in this global marketplace. Now, according to the World Bank, also 75 countries still have restrictions on women's rights to manage assets. So all you uh, feminists and women's rights out there, 75 countries in the world today still don't allow women to have assets. Why? They don't have permission. Are you getting the point here? <laughs> the authoritarians, the nation states, they want to control everything and they want to control who has permission. 75 countries don't allow women to have permission over their money. Now, like I said, a lot of people aren't really aware of these situations where I want to kind of bring this up. But all of these people have access to smartphones. Now, from a 
you know, society level, you might go, well, you know, there are some people we don't want to have bank accounts, I guess, right? Like, uh, some people might, you know, we should probably shut them off. Like, uh, we can see back through history, companies that have been debanked, Operation Choke Point, under the Obama administration, they started shutting down legal operations, access to banking, you know, if they did online gambling or or um, gun stores, things like that. We saw WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks was shut down from its payment processor. Um, if you were protesting in Canada, for example, under the trucker protest, you got your bank account shut down. Um, and you can see that if you just do the wrong thing. Now, they were doing some supposedly something that was constitutionally protected, such as the right to assemble, and people donated money to a GoFundMe and got their accounts frozen. So you have to understand, yeah, you always want to stay open to this because even though you might like a law or a policy going into effect, you have to think about how it could be used against you. Because unfortunately, once that law goes into place, it could be used against you. And, and the world's so divided, there's always going to be somebody on the other side of the aisle from you. Now, if we look at that, like, how does that affect you in the United States? Well, it's happening in the United States. But look at it again from a global perspective. We can see that there's billions of people, about 3 billion people live under harsh authoritarian countries. And that number is growing by the day. And so if we had something like open source money, which of course we do, um, that could potentially fix it. We have this open source monetary network. It's called Bitcoin. It's been around about 14 years. And it's open. And what that means is it's open, it's borderless, it's permissionless. You don't need permission. You don't need an ID. Anybody with a smartphone, which 86% of the world has one, could download an app and instantly receive payments. And it works borderless. I can now send money, I can send remittances anywhere in the world, instantaneous and for free, without permission, without an 11% fee from the bank. But more importantly, without permission. That's the thing. If you have to ask for permission to do anything, are you really free? So now we have this open source network, we can do payments, we can save our money. Um, and anybody with an internet connection has access to doing this without having permission. If we look at a closed monetary network, again, our existing banking system, the Federal Reserve System, it's set up in a hierarchy way, right? So basically, if you want to open up a bank or be involved in banking or money transmission, you have to get permission. You you see that there's these problems. It's hard to move money. So you want to create a solution. I have, a, I have a new technology. I have a new app. I have a new way we can do this. You have to go to the banking system and get permission. And of course, if it's going to do anything to take away their ability to censor you, then they won't approve it. And that's what happens all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, I had Caitlin Long on the show. If you haven't listened to that podcast uh, with Caitlin Long, you should definitely check it out. Just go back on the podcast and search Mark Moss, Caitlin Long, or you can go on my main YouTube channel, Mark Moss, and listen to that interview. Got hundreds of thousands of views. It was amazing. But she she's tried to set up a bank called Custodia Bank, and it's a, it's a novel idea. It would be a bank that would actually hold your money. So you understand today in this banking crisis that the banks don't have your money. That's why they're going bust. If the bank had your money available for withdrawal, <laughs> there wouldn't be a problem. The Fed wouldn't have to come in and backstop the deposits, but of course the banks don't. So she had this great idea where, hey, how about we start a bank that actually holds your money? Bright idea. And guess what? The Fed said no. Nope. You don't have permission to do that. You don't have a permission to create a bank that holds people's money and uh, removes all the risk. Why would they do that? Well, the answer is they knew that if there was a bank that would hold people's money, then everybody would want to put their money there. 
And it would drain all the liquidity from the financial system because everybody would want that. That's the way competition is supposed to work. It always creates better service, better products, better prices when we compete against each other. But of course, to the authoritarians, to the state, they don't want to allow that, that competition. And so they shut her down. Now, let's, let's jump off of the monetary side and let's jump over to the social media side, the information side. So we see the same thing, right? Like I said earlier, kind of on, on surface, the internet seems pretty decentralized. Um, I could write something and uh, post it but I would have to post it somewhere someone could see it. So then that goes back to this kind of centralized, um, the, these closed silos, if you will. I'll post it on Medium or I'll post it on Substack if it's an article, but that's their sandbox. I could post it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but that's their sandbox, right? It's controlled. They decide what goes on there, what comes down, what doesn't. And so it's basically consolidated all these people, all these users into big pools. The other thing, as I was saying earlier, that you can't communicate from one silo to the next. So like a Twitter user can't send a message to a Facebook user. A LinkedIn user can't bring their followers over to a Twitter account, right? Because they're all siloed. Now, from a corporation's perspective, if you're Twitter, you're Facebook, et cetera, they would argue that they have to be able to remove illegal activity or spam. Um, and, and, you know, they want to comply with laws. Now, of course, this is something we've argued many times. Section 230 is supposed to insulate them from those laws if they keep an open network. Um, from a government's perspective, they realize that, you know, people may say mean things online. So they want to they be able to cut people off to prevent public outrage. That's ultimately what it comes down to. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm talking about two technologies that are changing the world. And it's going to change the world really, really, really fast. Of course, like I said, it's always technology that changes the world. And it's two different types of open source networks, monetary and information. I'm going to continue to explain uh, how this breaks down. And then we're talking about how you can use them, how you can take advantage of them, uh, where this goes, how you can protect yourself. I got a whole lot to cover in just a short period of time left with you. So I'm going to take a quick break just for a second. I'll be right back. Don't go away. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome back. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about two technologies that are changing the world. Open source monetary networks, which is Bitcoin. And we're talking about open source um, information networks that are being built on Noster. All right, so that's what we're talking about. Um, now, I was talking about how if we look at this from different um different perspectives, we start to understand who may be against this and why. And like I said, you know, from a govern- government's perspective, they need to control the flow of information. I started out talking about this book I'm reading called The Revolt of the Public and how as the people, as the public get information, we start to realize that everything we've been told is a lie and we revolt. That's what, that's what we're talking about. So the government wants to control that, right? They want to be able to demand, they want to be able to take down information that's inconvenient to them, that doesn't fit their, you know, preferred narrative. Of course, uh, you know, the military industrial complex, it's been around for decades. They want to continue to have this uh, effort for war so they can continue to extract more money. And we can see this in real time in, in many examples. India, a very large uh, country, has a, has a very established track record of telling Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms to remove information. Uh, there's, just, there's countless stories of, of government abuses where they're trying to control the flow of information. So let's talk more about these different technologies that we have and, and how they can be used. So um, this new technology that we have, Noster, it's pretty amazing. Basically what it is, it's a decentralized network that allows users to share information over them. Now, it's not a blockchain, right? It's a decentralized network. We don't need a blockchain for everything. Uh, We don't need a token for everything. And as a matter of fact, we've had these decentralized networks for a long time. You guys might remember Napster or like BitTorrent where you could download software, music, movies, things like that. It was all decentralized. It was censorship resistant. The governments couldn't shut it down, but yet we didn't need a blockchain for that. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But basically the way that this Noster is working is it sets up this um, series of relays. And these relays, sort of like back to BitTorrent or Napster, all these computers had little pieces of files on them and you could download them. This is a little bit different. You have all these computers that are relays and will relay the information. Now, it's a protocol that allows for this transfer of information. On top of this protocol, we then have applications of how we can use that protocol. So, for example, let me let me let me give an example so you can understand this a little bit better. Um, Technology scales in layers. So the base layer of the internet is TCP IP. That's the internet that allows packets of information to be exchanged from computer to computer. Well, then we wanted something like email. So then there's a second layer that's added on top of that called SMTP. If you set up, set up your email, you know that. Then we want security on our websites. Then we create HTTPS, right? And we start creating these different layers on top of that. But let's go back just to the email, for example. So SMTP is a, is a protocol that routes email. And that is a very decentralized network. But how do I access my email? Well, I could use different applications, different um, programs. I could use Gmail to do my email. I could use Hotmail. I could use uh, you know, MailChimp. I could be more privacy-centric. I could use ProtonMail. And so I could use which email outlook. I could, use, I could choose which client, which application I want to manage my email. Now, if I'm using my email on Gmail or Outlook or whatever, and I decide I don't like Outlook anymore. I don't like Gmail. Gmail's now um, scanning all my emails. I don't like that. I want more privacy. So I'm going to go to Proton. 
I take all my emails with me, right? So that's the thing. I own my emails. I own that list, my email list, and I can take it with me from Gmail to ProtonMail. Also, ProtonMail can speak to Gmail or Hotmail or Outlook. So the email, the SMTP is a decentralized protocol. The clients or the applications, Gmail, Hotmail, ProtonMail can be changed out interoperably. I can go from one to the next, keeping my list, and they can communicate next to each other. That's what we're talking about. So Noster is a communication protocol that allows transfer information. Then we can build applications on top of that. So for example, there's one called Damus right now, and it's basically like a Twitter client. So you can download uh, Damus from the Apple store. It looks like, um, it looks basically like Twitter. And now um, users can share information just like on Twitter, but instead of going through a centralized silo like Twitter, it's going over this decentralized Noster protocol. But it's even more important than that because now there's several, there's, I don't know, there's eight or 10 different ones competing with Damus right now that's, that give you kind of this same look and feel of like a Twitter client. Now let's say that I'm using Damus to for my Twitter experience, but then they want to start charging me a fee or they want to start censoring me or whatever. I can just leave and take my entire social media following to the next competitor. I'm no longer held captive by Twitter, just like I'm no longer held captive by Gmail or Hotmail or Outlook. Now it gets even better than that. So now I can have like a Twitter client sitting on top of, of Noster, and then I could create like a Telegram one or a YouTube version or something like that. And they can communicate back and forth to each other. So now I could share information from my Twitter client to my Telegram or my YouTube client. It's important to understand why this is going to be so big. One, for the one, I mean, just the easy one to understand is that this is a decentralized open protocol. That means I do not need permission to join Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. They don't, nobody, nobody gives me permission. I join. If one of them wants to censor me or charge me, I can just move to the next. What that does is that creates competition. We get better service products and prices when we have competition, we'll get more features, things like that. It also allows other technologies that are already peer-to-peer to flourish even more. So for example, we can do file sharing peer-to-peer, -peer. we can do video calls. We don't need Zoom. There's, a, there's an app called Keet now, K-E-E-T, that allows us to go peer-to-peer -peer video conference, peer-to-peer, -peer. not going through Zoom servers that are supposedly going through China servers. We can go peer-to-peer -peer using something like Keet. Um, and it all uses this uh, open source relay model. Now, what happens when you put those two together? So now you've got this open source communication protocol, and now we have Bitcoin, which is an open source monetary protocol, and now they work together. So now using Noster and Bitcoin, we can move information and money, which is also information, seamlessly and decentralized. Anybody in the world with a smartphone can join the global information network, the global monetary network, and can transfer information and money at the speed of light for free, almost for free, without anybody's ability to censor it. What does that do for communication? What does that do for uh, financial systems? What does that do for humanity? It's pretty amazing. Now, it's important to understand that uh, this isn't some Web3 blockchain. You don't need that. 
Blockchains are used to achieve global consensus. Bitcoin needs that. We want to have global consensus. We want uh, the network to tell us where the money is, who has it. And if I send money to you, everybody has to agree I sent money to you. But we don't need global consensus for our messages. We don't need global consensus for our email. We wouldn't want that. And so this is using the best of both worlds. It's showing the world that we don't need a blockchain for everything. But more importantly, opening up our monetary networks and opening up our communication networks is going to change the world because the governments are no longer going to be able to control the narrative. Back to the uh, where I started reading this book, The Revolt of the Public. Go read the book. It's an amazing book or just... Uh, Go on to a chat GPT and ask it to give you a summary. <laughs> uh, read the book, but you'll understand that it's always the people having the power, which is information that, that breaks the grip of the authoritarians. And so no matter how hard they continue to squeeze, they're not going to be able to stop the decentralized revolution that's happening. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we talk about the decentralized revolution each and every week. From the lens of politics, finance, and technology, typically we're talking about it from a very Bitcoin-centric, decentralized world, and now we're talking about other technologies that are happening. The world's changing. It's exciting. Um, so let's enjoy it. That's what I got. Thanks for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.